morning. I see that there's a lot of people missing today. And we have a nice hole over here that needs to be filled in. Uh, when you stand up here, you do think about things like that. You know, the closer you are, the easier it is to kind of feel like you're communicating and, and, uh, and speaking well with, with uh, your audience. So I miss that. I invite you to turn with me this morning to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. I'm grateful for the opportunity to look again at this psalm with you. We looked at it just a few weeks ago, the first two verses. I've been blessed to receive instruction from many gifted and faithful men from these verses, and I want to try God helping us to share with you some things from this precious portion of God's Word again this morning. We had an opportunity a few weeks ago to consider together an introduction to this psalm. This is one of the 15 psalms of ascent. Those psalms being Psalm 120 through 134, 15 psalms which the people of Israel would sing as they made their way up to Jerusalem three times a year for the appointed festivals. And then we looked more closely last time, it was I think about five or six weeks ago, we looked more closely at the first two verses of this psalm. Verses 1 and 2 say, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. This morning I want us to consider verses 3 and 4, probably the, the uh, most well-known verses from this psalm. Verses 3 and 4 say, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now, it was clear from verses 1 and 2 that the psalmist was very aware of his sin. His own assessment of himself is that he was in a very deep place because of his iniquities. It is out of the depths of his sin that he calls to the Lord. It is because he knows his own heart in this way that he is crying out to the Lord in verse 1 and in verse 2. But as we move to verse 3 and 4, the psalmist has something else to say to us about his sin. You see, the psalmist knows that he is not the only one that knows about his sin. God, too, in heaven, knows about his sin. And because God knows, this makes him afraid. This makes him restless and troubled, even desperate, about the depths that his sin has brought him into. Has brought him into. You see, God knows. We see this in verse 3 when our text says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God knows about his sins, and he needs forgiveness. What if he were to die unforgiven? And that is what he's going to talk about in verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now, I want us to look at these two verses under three headings this morning. First, the need for forgiveness. Secondly, the way of forgiveness. Thirdly, the fruit of forgiveness. The need for forgiveness, the way of forgiveness, the fruit of forgiveness. So first of all, the need for forgiveness. Verse 3 says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There's a picture of God here marking down sin, recording sin. Literally, the word there means to keep. God keeps them all in his record. It is a picture of God watching carefully each life, each person, 
and noting down every sin. It's the picture of an accountant making a careful record of your debts, and he doesn't miss anything. He sees it all. He records it all. Nothing is left unaccounted for. The psalmist is troubled that God marks down his sins, his iniquities. He's troubled because of what is recorded in heaven. All of his sins are recorded there. The things that he has done that he should not have done, they're all recorded. The things that he should have done but he left undone, they're all recorded. It's all recorded and he knows that it's quite a record. You know, if other people were to keep a record about our sins, that could be a, a very long list. Other people know a lot about us, but there's so much that they don't know. There's so much that others don't see. And they certainly don't know about the secret places of our heart, our thoughts, and our motives. But it is God who is keeping this list. The all-knowing, the all-seeing God. The God that nothing escapes his sight. Nothing can be hidden from him. If you turn over with me just a few pages to Psalm 139, let me just remember, uh, remind you of what uh, the psalmist says here in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. He says, Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee. When the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to thee. You see, God sees and God records. He sees in the day, He sees in the night. He sees what we do openly. He sees what we do secretly. He sees sin that is done in public with our friends. He sees sin that is done privately when we're alone. The things that we realize are sin, he records. The things that we don't realize are sin, he records. He records it all, the he records the sins that we remember, and there are certain sins that we will never forget, but there are many sins that we have long ago forgotten. They are recorded and remembered by God. Sins that we have done just once, he recorded. Sins that we do over and over and over again are all recorded. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Note the word that the psalmist uses for sin in verse 3, and it's also seen uh, in verse 8 as well. It is the word iniquities. It means to bend, to twist, to distort, to pervert. If you, Lord, should mark my twistings, if you, Lord, should mark my distortions, if, Lord, you should mark my crookedness, how could I stand? It's not just that God sees all the open and obvious things that I do wrong. God sees through all my distortions, all of my excuses, all of my rationalizations. God sees that at the very center of my being, I am crooked in my heart, crooked in my thoughts, crooked in my desires, crooked in my motives. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. 
Let me give you an example, the example of Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan came to them to tempt them, the sly, crooked devil. Note that when Adam sinned, he immediately became crooked. Adam had been open with God. He had, he had nothing from God. But now when he hears God coming, what does he do? He runs and hides. He's not honest anymore. He's no longer straight. He is bent. He is twisted. You see it in the answer that he gives the Lord. God says, did you eat what I commanded you not to eat? And what is the first words out of the, out of the mouth of Adam? They are the words, the woman. You see, Adam didn't do anything wrong. It was the woman's fault. And then what does he say next? He says, whom you gave me. I didn't do anything wrong. God, it's your fault, your fault and the fault of the woman. Adam is twisted. He is bent. He is distorted. And this is what the psalmist sees when he looks at his own heart. He sees his iniquity. He knows that his life is full of deceit and twistings and crookedness. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now we can ask the question, does God really record all of our sins? Does he really keep an account? Does he really mark down each and every one of my sins? Well, that is what the psalmist says here in verse 3, and the scriptures teach us this in many other places. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Romans 14, 12, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, dear ones, this, is a, this was troublesome to the psalmist. And uh, has it ever become troublesome to you? Has it ever become troublesome to you, young people, that your sins are recorded in books? Has it ever become troublesome to you, boys and girls, or parents, or grandparents? What if you had to appear before God this very day, and all the books about you were open, page after page after page, book after book, your sins recorded? What if you had to appear and your sins had never been forgiven? What then? You see, the opening of the books is not all that will happen. Note the last words of verse 3. O Lord, who could stand? The psalmist knows that the answer to this question is that no one will stand. The psalmist has not only become aware of the seriousness and the depths of his sin, but he also sees that there are consequences to his sin as well. What will God do with the bad record that he has? He asks the question, who could stand? The psalmist is looking across the whole moral universe, looking at every person, young and old, and he sees not one that is able to stand, not even one. You know, sometimes in the classroom, a teacher will ask a question, and then there's just silence. No one speaks. So it is with this question, who, 
who could stand. The question is asked, but there's no one to step forward and say, I can stand. There's only silence. None will be able to stand. The scriptures are clear about this. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you ever come to see yourself in this way, the way the psalmist sees himself and others? And what does it mean not to stand? What happens if we cannot stand on the day of judgment? Well, it means we will fall, we will crumble, we will never rise and stand again. If we cannot stand, we will be utterly ruined. It is life to stand. It is death to fall. Dear ones, it's not pleasant to think about these things. It's not pleasant to hear about judgment. We would all rather not think about this. It's not, but, I, but let me ask you, is it not better to have our consciences awakened now, to be warned now, to see what we deserve now, to tremble now, to see the consequences of sin now? We all need to understand that there are real consequences to sin. We need to know that it's a serious thing to sin. It's a terrible thing to die in an unconverted state. It's a dreadful thing to die in an unforgiven state. And I hope that we all realize that it is a great mercy for God to stop us and to bring this to our attention. It's not pleasant for us to think about these things, but it is a kind providence for God to speak to us now. It is grace that makes us think about these things now. It is love that warns us now. Romans 2.4 says, And do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It is the kindness of God that interrupts our life and interrupts our thoughts and makes us to think about these things. Have you seen yourself in your desperate situation before the eye of God? Have you ever been distressed in your soul because of your sin and the curse that you deserve? Have you come to seek for salvation outside of yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ? The psalmist has come to see his danger in verse 3, but the Holy Spirit does not leave him there. And the Holy Spirit does not lead you or lead me to think about these things and to understand these things and to be burdened by these kinds of thoughts so that he would just leave us there in the depths. We hear the psalmist say more, but there is forgiveness with you. And that brings us to our second heading, the way of forgiveness. We find here a gospel word, the word forgiveness, a word that a sinner longs to hear. As a verb, this word is translated forgive or pardon. This particular word appears as a noun only three times in the Old Testament. Nehemiah 9, 17 is one of those times. But you are a God of forgiveness, that's our word, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. Now when he says you did not forsake them, what did Israel deserve? They deserve to be forsaken by the Lord, but he did not do it because he is a God of forgiveness. It appears in Daniel 9, 9. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. He shouldn't still be Israel's God because they've rebelled, but he is because he is a God to whom belongs compassion and forgiveness. And then we see it here in our verse 
verse 4 of Psalm 130, but there is forgiveness with you. There is a record of sin, a record that the Lord keeps. But there is also forgiveness of sin, forgiveness that the Lord gives. This forgiveness, our verse says, is with you. That is, is with God. As we saw in verses 1 and 2, it is with the Lord, Jehovah, the faithful, covenant-keeping, loving God. And it is with the Lord, Adonai, the sovereign, powerful ruler and governor of all things. That record, all the books, all the details, a record of every single sin, that record can be wiped clean. All of it can be erased so that it is gone from the record of heaven. In the language of Isaiah the prophet, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are as red like crimson, they will be like wool. Or in the words of Jeremiah the prophet, For I will forgive your iniquity, and in their sin I will remember no more. Note also that there is another gospel word here. The word but, but there is forgiveness. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, when we were sinners who should not stand, Christ died for us, but God, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But is a wonderful gospel word. It is impossible for us to stand, but God causes us to stand in Christ. Please note that our text does not just say that there is forgiveness. It says, but there is forgiveness with you. Where is the forgiveness to be found? Is, is it to be found in man? Are we to blot out the record that is against ourselves? The power to forgive sins is not with us. We cannot forgive ourselves. When you sin against another person, you can't just walk away and say, I forgive myself for what I did. No, the other person must forgive you, and our sin is against God. If there's going to be pardon, it must come from God. He is the one who has been offended. He is the one who has been sinned against. If there's to be forgiveness, it must come from Him. But our psalmist says that there is forgiveness with you. You may not be able to find forgiveness with other people. Your husband or your wife may never forgive you for things that you've done. Your children may not forgive you. Your parents may not forgive you. There may be p people in your neighborhood or even people in the church that have some kind of grudge against you for something that you have done maybe even many years ago. There are many years of hard feelings, and you may not see how it would ever be made right. You may have done things, and I suspect this is true of all of us, you may have done things for which you cannot even forgive yourself. But there is forgiveness with the Lord. You can find forgiveness with Him even if it cannot be found anywhere else. How does the psalmist know that there is forgiveness 
with, the God, with God. How can we really be sure that the God of heaven, the one who marks down iniquity, can be, how can we be sure that he will forgive our sins? How can we know this? And how does the psalmist know? Well, he knows this because God himself has said that he would forgive sin. That he is, God himself has made provision for the forgiveness of sin. Turn with me for a moment to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. And chapter 4. The Old Testament scriptures would have told the psalmist, just as the Old Testament and New Testament tells us this about our God. If the Old Testament people sinned, were there, was there any hope for them? If the people of Israel sinned, then the priests were ordered to make sacrifice. And it says at the end of verse 20, if you're in Leviticus chapter 4, it says at the end of verse 20, So the priests shall make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. And then look at the first words of verse 22. When a leader sins, someone like King David who sinned, what will happen? Well, look at the end of verse 26. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to his sin, and he will be forgiven. And look at the first words of verse 27. Now, if any one of the common people sins, and then look at the end of verse 31. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he will be forgiven. And so it is in chapter 5 in various situations. We see the provision of sin. At the end of verse 10, it says, So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin, which he has committed, and it will be forgiven him. Verse 13 and verse 16 and verse 18. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 9. Numbers chapter 14, excuse me, verse <clears throat> excuse me, verse 19. Then it shall be that when you eat, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. I mean, it's 15, 19. Chapter 14, verse 19. Pardon, I pray the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy loving kindness, just as thou, hast, as thou also hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. What has God done? From the very moment the children of Israel leave Egypt, they begin to grumble, they begin to sin, they begin to be a rebellious people. God over and over and over and over shows his loving kindness, his faithfulness to the people. He forgives them time and time again. And in the New Testament, we see even more clearly that God forgives sin through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 5, in verse, in verse 20, let's turn there and look at that passage. Luke 5 and verse 20. You'll remember the occasion. It is the paralyzed man that has been brought to the Lord Jesus Christ for healing. Luke chapter 5 and verse 20. We read, And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and take up your stretcher and go home. 
And at once he rose up before them and, and took up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And they all were seized with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. In Luke 7, the woman who was a sinner washes the feet of Jesus with her tears and dries his, his uh, feet with her hair. And the Lord says to her, Your sins are forgiven. And in Luke 23, what is the first thing that Jesus says when he's nailed to the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. These things are written so that you may know that no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, there is forgiveness of sin with God. Here is the gospel message. God forgives sins through Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord, we read in Psalm 3. And our text says, there is forgiveness with you. Listen to some of the other scriptures and what they say. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not carrying their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The gospel message begs us, be forgiven. The apostles preached in this way in the book of Acts, Acts 5.31. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 10.43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Acts 13.38, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is the gospel message. There is forgiveness for all who go to Christ. There is, there is salvation for all who call upon him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Lord Jesus knows about your twistings and my twistings. Why did he come into this world? It was because of love. It was because of sovereign love, powerful love, forgiving love towards sinners. Let me ask you, dear ones, do you believe that all of your sins have been forgiven? Have you ever come to seek forgiveness from Christ? Have you ever pleaded with Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you looked to Christ as the only way to find forgiveness? Do you have love for Christ? Do you have faith in Christ? It may be a weak faith. It may be a troubled faith, but is there faith? I don't just ask, have you ever at some time believed? I ask, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ now? Are you trusting him now? When you hear the question, are you forgiven? Do you hesitate? Are there times when you don't feel forgiven? When you don't know if you are forgiven? If we are honest, we all would confess that we think thoughts like that from time to time. 
But listen carefully to what the psalmist says. He says, there is forgiveness with you. He does not say that there is forgiveness with me. He does not say that I always feel forgiven. In fact, the psalmist is here declaring that there is forgiveness with the Lord while he is in a deep place in his spiritual life. It is out of the depths that he is saying these things. With me, there is only iniquity, twisted thoughts, but with God, there is forgiveness. You see, our faith is not in ourselves. It's not in our feelings. It is even not in our believing. Our faith is in our God, Jehovah, who loves us and is forever committed to us, and Adonai, who is powerful and sovereign and able to save, and Christ, who is the friend of sinners. Our text has one more very important thing to say to us, and that is our last point. It is the fruit of forgiveness. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now, one of the interesting things about this particular verse is that it does not say exactly what we would expect. If I ask you to fill in the blank, what would you say? There is forgiveness with you that you may be what? That you may be loved, that you may be worshipped, that you may be enjoyed. I doubt if many people would say that there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, but that is what the psalmist says. What are we to think about this statement? Let us not underestimate the importance and the significance of these last words. Note that this is a statement of purpose. God forgives to this end, for this purpose, that we might fear Him. The reason He forgives is so that we will fear Him. Christian, do you, why do you think that God has forgiven your sins? He saves you so that you will fear Him. Forgiveness, note, comes first. The new birth comes first, then sanctification, then holy living, then walking in the fear of the Lord. The scriptures are clear that the final indictment against unbelievers is that they do not fear God. In Romans chapter 3, after saying that there is none righteous and there is none good, in verse 18 he concludes the matter with the words, there is no fear of God before their eyes. When God forgives, when God saves, He transforms. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The old that passes away is no fear of God. The new, the new thing that comes is the fear of the Lord. Now, what are we to understand these words to mean? Our text says that you may be feared. Well, there is one thing that our text makes clear that the fear being spoken of at the end of verse 4 cannot mean. It cannot mean the fear of terror or horror before God, our judge. Otherwise, forgiveness would reduce it, not be the cause of it. If it was talking about the dread or the terror of God, then forgiveness would diminish such a fear. But this fear is caused by forgiveness. This fear is that rever reverential fear, that loving desire to do those things that honor God and please God. It is seeing the wonder of our God, His awesome being, His glory. Men sometimes try to fear the Lord in order to gain 
forgiveness, but that idea is hopeless. Forgiveness comes first. Trusting Christ alone comes first. Following the Lord only becomes possible because we have a new heart by grace. The, spirit, the fear spoken of here is what Paul is speaking about in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, when he says this, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let me just mention that this verse gives us a way to determine whether or not we've been forgiven. We certainly want to know if our sins have been forgiven. We want to be confident that we know the Lord and that we are resting in His mercy. And here is a question that we can ask ourselves if we think that we've been truly converted. Do I fear the Lord? Do I esteem Him in my heart? Do I care about the things that He cares about? Do I have a sin sincere desire to perfect holiness in the fear of God? If in sovereign grace God has forgiven our sins, there will be a changed life, and we will be on the path of fearing the Lord. Let me make one last observation before we close. Maybe you do not know exactly what to think about the idea that fear is connected with forgiveness. Is the, is the Lord's forgiveness somehow ruined by this element of fear? Is it a good thing or a bad thing to live in the fear of the Lord? Well, I want to make sure that none of us misunderstand this fruit of forgiveness. Would you please turn with me to the book of Proverbs? I just want to very quickly to read a few verses for you. The book of Proverbs, and we'll begin in chapter 9 and verse 10. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and His children will take, will take refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Chapter 15 and verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. What does the Lord produce when He forgives and puts the fear of the Lord in His converted people? He gives wisdom and He gives knowledge. Do you want to be able to live wisely and live well in this world? The fear of the Lord will give you that. Do you want to live in such a way that your life will be promoted and prolonged and preserved? The fear of the Lord will give you that. Do you want to live in such a way that you can have strong confidence in this uncertain world? The fear of the Lord will give you that. Do you want to live in such a way that your life will be satisfying and fulfilling? The fear of the Lord will give you that. Do you want to put your head on your pillow at night and sleep satisfied and in peace? The fear of the Lord will give you that. What is this fear that God gives every person that He forgives? It is wisdom. It is life. 
it is peace, and most of all, it is in your heart of hearts to stand in awe of this God that forgives your iniquities. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Let me ask you one last question. Are you pardoned? I don't ask if you're sinless. None of us is, and none of us is able to stand. I ask, are your sins forgiven? Have you gone to Jesus Christ for mercy and for forgiveness? Have you laid hold of Him? If your answer is no, or I don't know, then why not? I read my Bible that there is pardon for, er for even the greatest of sinners. I read that David, the adulterer and the murderer, about him finding forgiveness. I read about the thief on the cross finding forgiveness. I read where Paul says it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into, wor into the world to save sinners among, among whom I am foremost of all. There is forgiveness for the greatest of sinners. And note that our text says that there is forgiveness now. There is present tense right now forgiveness with you. This is not something that needs to be postponed. You need to cry out to the Lord now. You need to seek mercy now. You need to believe now. Look back with me to Psalm 130 for just a moment at verses 7 and 8 of this psalm. Verses 7 and 8 say, O Israel, hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is, a, is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I see in verse 8 that there is full forgiveness for all my sins. Do you remember that terrible record? Secret sins, public sins, sins of youth, sins of old age, all of the books that have been kept. Christ went to, went to the cross to redeem them all, all of the sins of his people. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. There is forgiveness with you. Faith looks to Christ for forgiveness. Faith looks to God. Take my books of sin. Take my heart of sin and forgive me for Christ's sake. May God give us grace, every one of us, to go to Christ and find forgiveness for all of our sins. Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, it is a staggering thought when we think about the record that you have kept and all the sins that we have committed. We bless you, Lord, that there is forgiveness with you. I pray, Lord, that you would cause every one of us in our heart of hearts today to look to Christ, to run to him, and to know the forgiveness of our sins. We ask this mercy from your hand, in Christ's name, amen.